Brethren, I invite you to turn in your copies of the Scriptures to 1 Timothy. Our text today will be a few verses from the beginning of chapter 2. However, I'd like to begin by reading the entire first chapter and then a bit after, uh, well, verses 1 through 7 of chapter 2. Our text will be primarily verses 1 through 4 of chapter 2. Hear once again the very words of God. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope, to Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, And if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a a a persecutor, and an insolent man. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of who I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, 
who gave himself a ransom for all, to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles, in faith and truth. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever and ever. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, by your providential hand, by your sovereign decree, this past week, you have changed the leadership in our country, and that leadership will take office in just a couple of months. Father, these are, this is your handiwork. This is your bidding. And so you have taught us from your scriptures that we are to hold those in authority over us in high esteem because they are appointed by you. Father, as we look into this passage that Paul shared with Timothy, his son in the faith, Timothy, a, a pastor to the church in Ephesus and a church planter, a man who was given to the gospel work as well, may this instruction to him be our instruction to do what you desire of us, that is to pray for all men and especially those in authority over us. May we embrace this means of grace with tenacity. We know the days in which we live are dark, and yet you are the God of light. And in your Son, there is no darkness at all. And so, Father, we plead the blood of Christ on behalf of all men in this region, in this nation, and throughout the world, that men would bow their knee to your Son, Jesus Christ, trusting Him by faith for salvation, salvation from their sin and from death, that they too might share in the eternal life that you've been so gracious to give us, that every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to your glory, Father. And we ask this in Christ's name and for His sake. Amen. Brethren, last Sunday, we were in 2 Samuel chapter 7, and we considered David's prayer of thanksgiving for the profound, gracious covenant that God made with him that was not just a, a, a slight covenant, but rather an eternal covenant that his household would remain on the throne of Israel for eternity. And we noted David's posture in prayer before God his reverent humility before God. And though he sat when he prayed that prayer, he began his prayer by acknowledging the sovereign God who had made him, the creator of heaven and earth, and that he was a mere mortal, undeserving of that great promised covenant, nevertheless a recipient of God's grace and mercy in that covenant. Then Tuesday of this past week, our country elected a new president. We also elected or re-elected numerous lesser magistrates to govern us in various capacities. And given the providences of God in bringing about the circumstances in which we find ourselves, today I thought it appropriate to rehearse from the Scriptures an appropriate response to these providential circumstances. In doing so, Paul's instruction to Timothy, found here in 1 Timothy 2, I believe is most appropriate. 
And though I've read all of chapter 1 and the first seven verses of chapter 2 of 1 Timothy, we shall focus our attention on verses 1 through 3 of chapter 2. And in those three verses, we shall consider three aspects of Paul's exhortation. First, Paul exhorts Timothy to pray in a certain way. And we will look at the elements of those cert- that, the certainty of that prayer. Two, to pray for all men, but to especially pray for kings and those in authority over us. And then lastly, the results of such prayers. That we might live quiet and peaceable lives, for this pleases the God of the universe. So let's begin with the specificity of Paul's instruction to Timothy. It's interesting that Paul doesn't give Timothy a specific prayer, the actual words that he should pray, but rather the elements that should be contained within that prayer. And I think this is a great benefit to the people of God. We do have the Lord's Prayer, which we pray every week following the the prayer of the church. And I think the Lord gives us that prayer because it shows a, a definition of prayer for us, But as as much as that, he gives us words that are pleasing to God. When Jesus prays his prayers, do any of us think they are ignored or forgotten or dismissed? On the contrary, his words please God. Every word he spoke pleased God the Father. For he is God the Son. And he lived a perfect sinless life that he might be a unblemished sacrifice for our sins. But here in this prayer, Paul speaks of certain things that should be in those prayers for all men and for those in authority over us. And he begins with the notion of supplications. Well, the word supplications comes from the root word supplicant. What is a supplicant? Well, it's a person who in humility comes before God, rendering to God do reverence when he brings his, his thoughts and petitions before the creator of the universe. This mimics David's prayer from last week. He approached God on behalf of... Uh, here, God is telling us to pr- approach him on behalf of others. But David showed his supplications in thanksgiving, which we'll look at in just a few minutes. He showed his supplications at the very beginning of his prayer as well. He said, who am I, Lord? Who am I that you should shower these blessings upon me? I'm a mere creature. I've done nothing in deserving of these things. And yet, you have given me an eternal covenant. He was a supplicant. His demeanor was humble, reverent. Recognizing the authority of the Creator God whom He was before in thanksgiving. Brethren, supplications begin our prayers. Ought to always begin our prayers. We should come before the Lord, as Ken reminded us yesterday, on bended knee, in humility, and in reverence. Coming before the Lord as creatures before the Creator. That should be our demeanor. Humble subordination. And we must exhibit that posture as Paul says this to us regarding prayers for all men and particularly those who are in authority over us. 
uh, David said these words, and I, uh, or, or, excuse me, Paul says th- these words, and I thank Jesus Christ our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. This is in chapter 1. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, he recognizes his own weaknesses, his own frailties, and yet God gave him grace. And the grace of our Lord Jesus was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying, Paul wrote, and worthy of all acceptance, that Jesus Christ came to the world to save men like him. Men who are insolent. Men who are persecutors. Men who are lustful. Men who are all these things that he listed in chapter 1. That's why God came to the earth in the person of Jesus Christ. To save men out of that. And that produces what? It produces supplications for those who've been brought out of darkness into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ. And then at the end of that recounting of those many things that God had done for him in chapter 1, Paul says these words, Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God only wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. All of these recountings in chapter 1 indeed are, are a prayer to God. I was this and you've made me something far greater. I was beyond redemption and you redeemed me. You are the gracious one. You are the merciful one. You're the only wise God. And to you there needs to be honor and glory forever and ever. Brethren, this is how we ought to come before the Lord in prayer, in supplication. Then Paul says intercession. To solicit God's favor on behalf of another. That's what intercession is. To solicit God's favor on behalf of another. Notice it's not on your behalf. It's on behalf of another. Isn't Jesus our our extreme example of this? The one who intercedes for us, not only in prayer, as he does right now at the right hand of of God the Father, and I'll speak to that in a moment, but he gave his whole life in sacrificial intercession. We were sinners far from God, and Jesus Christ gave his life, interceded, that the wrath of God would not be poured out on us, but He took it upon Himself that we might be redeemed. He paid a ransom, the wrath of God being poured on Him in intercession, interceding for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Beyond comprehension, that's true intercession. How is it That God can become a man, first of all, and then that man can die for no reason of his own, that we might become righteous in him. That should humble all of us. But Paul is entreating Timothy, you need to spend in prayer that kind of intercessory effort, that profound effort on behalf of others. You need to come before God in humility and reverence and awe and then spend time in intercession for others, for all men, but especially those who rule over you. Jesus on the cross is the perfect illustration of intercession 
preferring the needs of others over his own glory, the scriptures teach us. From Philippians chapter 2. He thought it not, read the Bible, and I quote this every week, there's a reason. I hope, because you hear that every week, I hope there are days when that just springs up in your head because you've heard it so often. That, that summary of the great work of Christ that Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2 is a summary of a man who does not think his glory should be, should be so clutched to but God, the Son of God, that he would leave that glory and, and become a humble man. He would be born in a stable. He would play, be placed in a trough where they feed animals as his, where he, the first place he would lay his head. And he would grow up without a place to lay his head, the Scriptures teach us. The son of a carpenter, not, not in a kingly mansion, not praised by all men. In fact, he was despised by men and rejected, Isaiah tells us. And he would die on a cross for no sins that he committed, yet he looked for the reward that God had promised as the thing to be grasped. And that is the salvation of the world. That's intercession. That's the attitude that we have to have when we come to pray for the lost of the world, all men, and especially those who govern us. Well, the next thing is, is he, Paul says, pray prayers. What, what does that mean uh, in this verse? How, how, what, what is it to mean to pray prayers? Well, most commentators say this is the petitions of our prayers. This is the, the particularities of the prayers that we bring. First, Paul t- talks about the demeanor of the man who enters the very presence of God in prayer. Second, we're there to do intercession for others. And now, Paul says, be particular about your petitions. That's what he's exhorting Timothy to do. Brethren, when we offer prayers from a po- posture of supplication, interceding for others, it is best that we pay particular attention to the needs that we're praying for. Now, in our confession, when it comes to confessing sin, our confession teaches us that we are to confess our particular sins particularly. And so that means if you suffer from a particular sin that you're having very difficult times overcoming, and it could be pride, it could be lust, it could be bearing false witness. It could be any number of things. It could be thievery. It could be idolatry, that you're raising something up in your life that takes the place of your worship of God. Whatever those things are, you are to be particular about praying for those things in confession. I believe Paul is teaching us here, when we pray for all men, we need to be particularly praying for things in intercession. For instance, the lost and the dying. How should we pray for the lost and the dying? Well, we should be praying for their salvation, surely. But what does that mean? That means that these people have to humble themselves before God, confessing and repenting of their sins. Do we pray for that for other people? Do we pray that other people will confess their sins and repent of them? That God would lift them up to newness of life? Do we pray that they will yield to the Scriptures 
And as we learned yesterday, we believe in something that's unique now in our culture. We believe that there's an authority outside of us that we are to submit to. Brethren, that would be a good prayer to pray particularly in our society. That other men would see that they are not the measure of all things. Men are not the measure of all things. That, a supplicant knows that. He recognizes that and he practices that. A supplicant says, I'm a creature, and there is a creator, and I have to bow to him. Pray for that for all men. That they would recognize that there is a creator who's given a son, a redeemer, an interceder, one who gave his life for us. That's, that's the attitude that we're have to, we should have in these prayers. That's just one particularity. When I get to the praying for the magistrate, we'll speak about that as well. But what about, what about the Great Commission that teaches us that we are to disciple all the nations? Do we pray that we can be sufficiently able to disciple that person who comes to faith? That we know enough to disciple them and to, to, to broaden their understanding of the Creator and what He's done in salvation, and what He's promised in this world. Do we, do we understand that we are to teach them what God taught our first parents, to subdue the earth and fill it? Ken reminded us of that yesterday as well. Do we pray particularly about those things? I think Paul is admonishing and exhorting Timothy to do that, and, and us as well, since these books have been preserved for our understanding. And then thanksgiving. Interestingly how, it is interesting how Paul phrases this. Therefore I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. I have to admit to you, I I, I don't know that I have ever given thanks for Barack Obama. I haven't given thanks for a lot of men like Barack Obama. And yet God in His providence has said, I needed to see that. I needed to see a man who acts like that in that position. And it should change me. We sang Psalm 2 just a few minutes ago. The last verse. Therefore kings be wise. Give ear. Hearken judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with godly fear. Mingle trembling with your mirth. Kiss the Son, His wrath to turn, lest ye perish in the way, for His anger soon will burn. Blessed are all that on Him stay. First of all, I don't think I've prayed enough for these civil rulers who have never bowed their knee to the Son, who have not kissed the Son, and have kindled His wrath. 
Now, I think it's, it's being given over to us. I think that wrath is showing itself. And as was pointed out yesterday, it's not always, it's not always a hurricane that sweeps over a coastline, nor is it a, an earthquake that shakes until things fall down. And I, I've not really experienced the first, but having lived eight years in, the, in California, I did experience the second. Tornadoes that demolish things in, in just a few moments, sometimes that's God's wrath. It could be war. That is often God's wrath, and we don't recognize war in that way too often. But it could be plagues, and it could be an unjust ruler. And God tells me, I'm to pray for that man and give thanks for him. Because that's God's will being done. This brings us to the ends of those verses, that are, verses 3 and 4. Actually, verse 2, two, two through 4. We're to be, make prayers, supplications, intercessions, and giving of thanks for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Brethren, we have the ordinary means of grace at our disposal. Yesterday, the questions were asked, how do we have an effect? And when we look at everything around us, how, how do we affect these things? Do we have any, any power in and of ourselves to, make, to see change come about? May I submit to you, we have something far more powerful, as Ken alluded to, that our weapons of warfare are not carnal, but they do, they do what? They bring down principalities and powers. If we put faith and trust in what God has ordained to bring about change on the earth. And those are the ordinary means of grace. One of which is prayer. Paul talks about in chapter 1 here, this is a warfare you're in, Tim. Pick up the weapons of war that have been given to us and use them for God's glory and for the good of others. Why else would we pray for all men? Why else would we intercede for all men? And especially those who are in authority over us, to whom much is given, much is required. Our new president stands before the King of kings and Lord of lords, and I don't even think he knows that. Who needs more prayer than him? He's been given the power of the sword. It's a fearful thing to give a sword to a man who has no idea why he has it. It's a fearful thing for a man to have that kind of power and wield that over others when he's not a supplicant, when he's not humble before God. He's even said loudly and proudly, I have nothing to ask God's forgiveness for. That should make us quake. We should pray for his humility. 
We need to pray that he would bow his knee to the king and kiss the son lest he be angry. Now I have to say, these first few days after the election, and I could be very wrong here, I I I thought I saw a sobering of this man in the position he's in now. That he's actually realized something that he didn't think was going to happen. I don't really think he thought he would win. But now that he has, I think there, I, I saw glimpses of sobering. We need to pray that God would make that most evident to him. He is holding a sword that could consume the world. And he needs to be humble. He needs to kiss the sun unless he angers the sun and his wrath is kindled against us and him. But we need to pray that for all men, don't we? Isn't that the exhortation here? Now, here's the blessing of all this. That, that, I was sobered as I prepared this message. I was thinking about these things and wondering, man, my, in my own self, I've failed so often to pray for those who rule over us and to do it with fervency. But notice, verse 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Not only that, at the end of verse 2, for kings and all who are in authority were to be praying for him, that we may lead quiet and peaceable lives in all godliness and reverence. There is a benefit to using this means of grace on behalf of all men in our kingdom. And I use that in a, in a broad sense. I don't use that in a specific sense. We do have a president. For all you Tories, you were glad to hear me say king. But for the rest of us who are Americans, uh, we don't like that term. <laughs> we have but one king, and his name is Jesus. That's the way we look upon it. But that's okay. Lesser magistrates are men who are given that authority under the mighty hand of God. When we pray for them, notice that the, the benefit attends the prayers, not on the, 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 the quality of the man who holds the position. Quiet and peaceable lives come because we're faithful in doing what we are to do. Because that pleases God. Now, and I say that to say this, it, we may still be persecuted It may still come in great measure. But you know what? We can still live quiet and peaceable lives if we're diligent with the ordinary means of grace. If we are diligent there, God protects us. Yes, we don't know what's going to happen. It could be that, that I have a prison ministry soon. Praise the Lord, right? And it could be that I and the elders of the church could be targeted for, for even worse things to the point of death. But you know what? I can live a quiet and peaceable life in the midst of those trials, knowing I've done the will of God because of verse 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of faith, or to the knowledge of truth. I delight, I want to delight, and delight all the more in the things that God delights in. And God says, this delights me. Pray for all men. Pray for those in authority over you. That you might live quiet, peaceable lives. 
and that the gospel of Jesus Christ would cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. Because he desires that all men would come to the knowledge of the truth. And indeed, one day, all men will. All men will. So here's my exhortation to you in light of the election. Micah says, and I, I pray this often, I'll pray it again today. What is, the, what is the purpose of man? To do justice, to love mercy, and walk humbly before God. That is a very good and specific prayer to pray on behalf of our civil ruler. That our new president would do justice. Now that presumes that he knows where to find it. So that's another particular part of that prayer, isn't it? That he would understand that God has revealed what true justice is. That he would do justice. That he would love mercy. And that's a hard thing for a civil magistrate to do because he's been given a sword. He, we think of mercy as, in the, in the case of the civil magistrate, at least the first thing that comes to my mind, is to withhold the sword. Well, is that merciful? Is, it, is withholding the sword from those who deserve the sword by God's deposition, on whom is that civil magistrate giving mercy? Is he giving mercy to the society as a whole? Probably not. In fact, he's perpetuating lawlessness. When a man deserves the sword, he should get it. That's merciful. We need to pray that our civil magistrates know how to use the sword and are courageous enough to do it. Because that's the problem we have in society today. It's not that they don't have it, it's that they don't use it. To do justice, love mercy, and then walk humbly before our God. That's the prayer that we should be praying for every, every man who governs. But isn't that also the prayer for every man who does not bow their knee to Christ? That they would do the just thing. Humble themselves before God that He might lift them up. That they would be merciful to others as God is merciful to them. And that they would walk humbly that way for their entire lives because they are creatures rather than the Creator. These are the things that we need to use this means of grace faithfully to change society. We need to pray for all men, for their salvation, and especially the needs of those who govern us. Let us pray together.